Well, good morning. Um, let me say, I can't say I wasn't warned. When I was in seminary, they warned us about a rogue student pastor. If you got suggestions for me. Hey, if you're here visiting us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. Welcome. I know sometimes it's hard to come into some place. If you're joining us online, we're, we're grateful that you're here with us too. So, in the fall of 1978, I went off to Texas A&M as a freshman in college. Now, let me just stop there and say, whenever I give anything that is a hint of my age from the pulpit, my wife always wants me to put in a disclaimer. I married a much younger woman. So let me just make that very clear, much younger, almost scandalously young. But um, when I went off in the fall of 1978, I had two good friends. One was my roommate, and in 1977, uh, our senior in high school, his grandmother bought him a Mach 2 Mustang. Then the guy that lived right below me, his family would become kind of my second family when moved away. Uh, his, when he graduated for graduation in the spring of 78, uh, they bought him a Camaro Z28. And I went off to college in 1978 with a 1971 lime green Comet with racing stripes down the side, a fair, uh, fake air scoop on the top, and then the back quarter panels were rusted because we had had that car in Detroit and Chicago. You car guys are pretty jealous, aren't you, of that car? You know, the great thing when you drive a car like that is if you have a girlfriend, she kn you know she doesn't like you for your car. And, you know, I had never thought about that car in any way until uh, that first semester freshman year on Sunday evening, the dorm cafeterias were closed, and we lived, uh, the guys, freshman guys had to park off campus, so we'd get a couple people to drive. You want to drive, and you drive, and we'll go. And so when my turn came up to drive, hey, you guys have driven, you, you want me to drive? They go, no, 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 man, it's, it's good. <laughs> we're, no, you guys are spending gas money, you want me to drive? No, no, man, we're, we're, it's all good, Andy, it's cool. I got the message. We don't want to be seen in your car. I got that. I got that. Two years later, right before the start of our junior year, I get a call from my roommate, John, who drove the Z28. He's been in a horrific accident. You need to get back. I was working in the Panhandle of Texas. He hung on for a day. Uh, he passed away. Never got his lungs working. And I was a pallbearer at the funeral, but I remember the funeral and then the, the reception afterwards. I mean, they were, honestly, the cars were parked for eight blocks. I mean, you would have thought it was a party. Do you know how much we talked about the fact that he drove a Z28? Why? It didn't matter. In the scheme of life, it didn't matter. Oh, in the day, on Sunday night, you want to drive? No, I don't want to drive because I don't want to be seen in your car. It, it kind of mattered. But in, in the scheme of life, when we're talking about issues, it didn't matter. And you know, when, when he was eulogized, you know how many people mentioned what kind of car he drove? Nobody. You know, part of my job is to officiate funerals. And I always meet with the family. And I'll say, well, what do you want me to say? And they never say, Pastor, make sure you mention he drove a Corvette. Make sure you mention that he lived in 5,000 square feet with granite countertops. Make sure you, you mention that he finished life with a million and a half in his 401k. That never gets mentioned. Why? Because it doesn't. You know what they say? Andy, tell him he was kind. 
Tell him he was cheering. Tell him he was caring. Those are the things we value. Well, if those are the things we value at the end of our lives, why aren't we living them out? Because we get caught up in what kind of car do you have. So this morning, I want to ask this question. How do we become generous people? Because I think that's who we want to be. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to start in chapter, uh, verse 1 and go through verse 15, wrestling with that question. How do we become generous people? As Nate said, um, we are in a series um, focusing on our mission, Christ in our, being Christ in our community. We've talked about wanting to incarnate. We wanted to live out Christ, to flesh him out. And last week I talked about it. I, I wanted to ask you to consider being involved in this mission with your whole self. And so I was asking two priorities. Our two most valued resources are time and our money. So we're going to talk about money this week, talk about time next week. If this is your first time visiting with us, your timing is amazing. We don't talk about money that often when it comes up in the text. We do. But we're not ashamed to talk about it either because we think it's an indicator of where we are with Christ. Having said that, let me start that in verse 1 this way. It says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. What's going on? Paul is writing to the Corinthian church about um, the church in Jerusalem that is going through a famine and they're suffering. And they've made a commitment, the Corinthian church has, but they haven't followed through on it. So he's trying to get them to follow through on what they said they were going to do. But what he's going to start to do is he's going to start by giving the example of the Macedonian church who we'll see, who we'll see in just a moment, gave great, lavishly, sacrificially, But Paul says that giving was a work of the grace of God. If we're going to be generous people, we're going to have to tap into the grace of God. Because you know what I want to do with my money? I want to spend it on me and what matters to me. Because I work for it, don't you? And I went to school for it. Me, me, me. The grace of God gets us our focus on God and then others. Well, this Macedonian church had had an experience with God, the grace of God. So this is what it says in verse 2. It says that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They gave liberally, even though they were going through affliction and even poverty. Scholars speculate that they had started to lose land and other things because of their faith in Christ. But they begged to be involved in this, even though they were hurting financially. Paul says, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. This is not something they were pressured into. They wanted to do it. That's why we're not going to call you about your giving. We're not going to track it. There's two people in the church who know who gives what. Our treasurer and our bookkeeper. Nobody on the ministry staff knows. If you give here, we want you to give because you want to, because you have encountered God and feel compelled by Him to give. Here's what verse 4 says, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They first gave themselves to God. It was of them giving themselves first to God that they gave to others. Verse 6, Paul says, So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, he was the one that initiated this with the Corinthian church, so he would 
also complete in you this gracious work as well. He wants Titus to follow through to encourage them to give. Why in the world would we need to be encouraged to give? Well, I would suggest to you, we live in a culture that has all kinds of ideas and ways for you to spend their money on their product. And if you don't think you have a need for their product, they have a marketing department to convince you that you do. So Shane Hibbs is a pastor, but before he was, he worked at a marketing consulting firm. And uh, he had one client that he writes about, uh, Porsche was a client, not, not a 1971 Lime Green Comet, a Porsche was his, his account. And he writes this of his experience with them. He says, my role as an advertising account planner was to serve as a kind of consumer anthropologist. That's the sanitized description. More accurately, my task was to hijack your imagination, brand your brain with our logo, and then feed you opinions you thought were your own. You're welcome, he says. He said, much of what I did involved unearthing private, exploitable data from consumers' lives, what we call the leverageable insight. An effective ad tries to tap viewers' most intense and emotional experiences, the trigger for all consumer impulses. My job was to save people from feeling impotent, unattractive, or powerless by offering them a Porsche which promised to fix those problems. He goes on, now tongue very much in cheek. He says, I'm a slow learner. It took me a few years to realize that I was actually promoting a counterfeit gospel. Now, before you start judging me, you should know I never offer cheap grace. The gospel, according to Porsche, will set you back eighty dollars to $150,000, depending on how much salvation you need. See the needs he was meeting? You feel unattractive? You feel infinite? You feel powerless? Let me put you in a Porsche, and I'll meet that. That's false advertising. But it's playing on an emotional impulse. I need that. And those needs for significance and acceptance, those are ultimately led in the gospel. That's why he said I was, I was promoting a false gospel. And it cost you a lot of money, and it didn't come through. So about uh, 25 years ago, I needed to realize I needed to change my diet and... Uh, I started eating Kellogg's All Bran. It doesn't taste very good. It might be healthy, but it doesn't taste very good. As a kid, this was my favorite cereal. How about that? Tony, they're what? They're what? Great. You bet they are. They taste great. You know, and we're going, staff is going down to Wichita and we'll be in a hotel. And if they have like uh, Frosted Flakes at the breakfast bar, I might indulge. I might have a small bowl. So I grew up without a TV when I was a kid, but I would go over to a friend's house and watch, and I saw an advertisement for a Tony the Tiger action figure. You can't pass on that, can you? And I thought, man, this looked great on the TV, and I don't know what it cost. Maybe it cost four bucks. Um, but my allowance was 50 cents a week. So if I'm going to buy the Tony the Tiger action figure, I'm not going to be able to buy anything else for eight weeks. That means I can't go get candy and pop at this convenience store or something like that. I used to ride with my friends. And I remember that saving my allowance. Finally, I save up the four bucks or whatever was needed, and my parents write a check, and they send it off. And then it's six weeks of shipping and handling, don't you know? So I finally get the Tony the Tiger. 
Tiger action figure, and I put the batteries in, and man, it is stiff and useless. I think I prayed with it for about 15 minutes and never played with it again. That was false advertising on the TV. It did nowhere near what they said it did on TV, but I bought it. And I gave my allowance for eight weeks to something that didn't come through. That's what culture's doing to us. It's asking for our time and our money to give ourselves to meet a deep need, and it doesn't come through. Paul's saying, God needs to meet those deepest needs. We don't have to spend our money on those other things. And that frees us to be generous that we could reflect the character of God. So Paul goes on encouraging, verse 7, he says, But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, that in all earnestness and that love we inspired in you. So you, you, you abound, you, you excel in faith and, and speech and knowledge and sincerity and love. Paul goes on, see that you abound in this gracious work, this gracious work being giving. See that you abound in your giving also. But again, he's tying it to grace. He said, I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. This afternoon, I'll officiate a wedding. And, and I always say, you know, culture defines love one way. The Bible defines love another way. In the Bible, the love is a, love is a commitment to act in the other person's best interest. Most exemplified in Jesus, dying on the cross. That's what his love was. Well, that's what Paul's fleshing out here. To show your love is true, invest in others. You're taking what is yours and giving it to somebody else. Why would you do that? Because you know a God who died unselfishly for you. And that's where Paul goes in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We're working on financial terms. And Paul said, here's what God did for you. He became poor, that you might become rich. That's the God we serve. See, we're asking this question, how do we become generous people? The answer is, we become generous people by drawing near to the one who gave himself to us. We become generous people by drawing near to the one who gave himself for us. So what I'm asking you to do is, is to consider your budget. Where can you cut back? Where can you sacrifice that you might be able to give to others? I'm not saying you skip your house payment. That's a bad idea. I'm not saying you stop buying food. That's a bad idea. But where can you, you, you cut back on, on the clothes or the vacation, the cars you take or, or drive or whatever? Let me say, we took a vacation this summer, so I'm not saying condemning those who take a vacation. But where are you most tempted to spend money where it doesn't pay off? So for me, I'm not a materialistic person. I don't really care about clothes or this or that. But I'll tell you where I get caught up in money is security. My parents grew up in the Depression. My dad probably told me 50 times when he was a little boy he wanted to go to the movie and it was a dime to go to the movie and his mom went through the house and couldn't find a dime. So I came up with parents who, man, you've got to cover every contingent you got in. And I grew up with that. And so I hold on to my money because I want to be secure. And there's nothing wrong with planning for retirement and having retirement plans. And, and I'm, I'm not. But if my planning for retirement keeps me from being generous, that's a problem. 
Because here's the deal. I can plan for my retirement all I want, but if the market turns south, if the economy goes bad, that could all be gone. If the market crashes, that could all be gone. So we live this tension. We plan for it, but we don't put our ultimate trust in our 401k or our 403b for retirement. So I'm, I'm wrestling with the tension of investing for the future, but also being generous. Well, what do those numbers look like? Well, I'm in a relationship with God. You're in a relationship with God. What does that look like? That is why we call you to draw near to the Lord. Uh, Paul goes on, verse 9, uh, 10 and 11. He says, I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to, to desire to do it. Now, but now finish doing it also. So he's saying, you made this a year ago, this commitment, follow through on it. So that there, as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability. In verse 12, then Paul gives us some principles in giving. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So Paul's saying, giving ought to be proportional. How much do you have? Well, that ought to be an indicator of how much you give. So people ask me, well, Andy, should I give 10%? Yeah, in some cases you should. In some cases you should give more. In some cases you should give less. You're in a relationship with the Lord. So my first 15 years out of college, I worked with Campus Crusade on a very limited budget. I didn't give 10%, but I feel like I pleased the Lord because my sacri- giving was sacrificial, it was willing, and it was joyful. We've now kicked our two kids out of the house. It's just me and my wife. We got two full-time salary jobs. We give more than 10%. We ought to. We ought to because we have that kind of money. What is it you have? Each one of us needs to wrestle through this. But but here's principles. I, I think from this passage, we want giving to be sacrificial. We want it to be willing, and we want it to be joyful. Paul goes on to talk about giving in 2 Corinthians 9. I just want to look at one verse. That each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. So we don't want, I don't want any giving to be under, grudgingly or under compulsion. That's why we're not calling. That's why we're not, if you feel under compulsion, don't. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. God's not up in heaven sitting thinking, what am I going to do? He owns the resource, but he wants your heart. And he wants you to give to his work cheerfully. Here's what our giving accomplishes, verses 13 through 15. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance may also be a supply for your need, that there also may be equality. As it is written, he who has gathered much did not have too much, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Those of us who have an abundance can give those who are in need. There might be another time where we're the people in need and people with abundance can give to us. Paul is looking for needs to be met. As a church, we just finished a fiscal year. We're on an August 1 fiscal year. Let me just give you a couple snapshots from that. Over the course of the last fiscal year, we took in $585,000. We spent $580,000. Right now, the the note or the payment, the total we owe in this building is $800,000. When we um, started in 2010, it was a million eight. So we're making progress. We want to keep working on that. Our monthly payment's about $10,000 a month. Before we moved in here, we met at North Star High School. We spent about $5,500 a month 
to meet there for five hours a week. We thought it was good stewardship to have our own building. Those of you who um, give, thank you. You help us move this vision forward. What vision is that? Um, right before we planted this church, I was at a conference and I met a, a former mentor of mine. I told him about it and he said, Andy, let me ask you this question. If that church you're about to plant were to cease to exist, would anybody outside the constituency care? Would anybody even know outside that people go? Well, I want to tell you, I think there's some people who would care. It would matter to if North Point, like the teachers at North Star High School, this week was their parent-teacher conferences. They don't have a parent-teacher organization. You, North Point, supplied snacks for the teachers. I told you last week, a couple weeks ago, there was a family at North Star. It's going to have their electricity turned off. North Star didn't have the funds. You met that need. It would matter. Uh, Northwest High School in, in North Star have Fellowship for Christian Athletes. People here lead those huddles. They pay for snacks. Guess who pays for those? You do. The counselors at North Star ask for granola bars because kids come to school hungry. Guess who? You do. Let me take it outside our country, Turkana, Kenya. We were over there this summer. They haven't had rain there in two years. You, us as a church, support 20 students who can go to school and maybe get ahead. It would matter over there. So thank you for giving. We talk about being Christ in our community. We want to incarnate this love. We want to raise up people who know, who have fallen in love with this Jesus and willingly talk about him. But then we want to be merciful and, and meet needs in the community. Why? That we would represent him well. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you look at your budget? Say, is there a place we can cut back that we can be more generous? Can we take less of a vacation? Again, we took a vacation this summer, so I'm not condemning. Can we eat out one time less a month? What can we do that we can be involved in moving the name and reputation of Jesus forward? There's QR codes if you choose to give. They're here on the screen. They'll be in the seat back pockets. And what those do, if you go to give, it'll take you to the give tab on our page and you can find out how to give. Next week, I'm going to talk about serving, giving your time. Again, you can go to that QR code. And if you can't find, use that, then you can go to our webpage, serve. And, and again, we're talking about getting involved with people to move the gospel forward, the name and reputation of Jesus forward, that his name might go forward. So 1980, I was... My parents moved up to New Jersey, and I hadn't seen relatives who lived in Maine for four years. We had been living in Texas, so I flew up there, and they let me use a car. And I remember seeing uh, one family in particular. It was my uncle and my aunt, and it was my dad's youngest sister. And I hadn't seen her in four years. And as we sat at the table, she said to me, Andrew, you remind me so much of your father. Well, of course I would. I, <laughs> I'm his child. I look like him. But she said, no, your, your mannerisms. You're, you're just like your dad. Well, yeah, I, I lived in this house for 18 years. I guess I would be like his dad. Here's my hope. As we draw near to Jesus, we'd be just like him. Just like my aunt noticed me, man, you take on the characteristics of your father. We would take on the characteristics of our Savior. Remember, he's the one who became poor, so we might become rich. I think we want to be generous people. I think that's who we want to be.
when our funeral comes, I, I think that's what they'd like to say about us. Well, how do we get there? How do we become generous people? I say this, we become generous people by drawing near to the one who gave himself for us. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful that, um, yeah, Jesus showed the way in generosity, becoming poor for our sake, that, that we might become rich. Lord, that we would draw near to him for his glory, that we would be generous people to focus on him. In Christ's name, amen.